The thing is not how you are on your best days, how can you step up on your worst day? When everything is going terrible, when you're tired, when you're frustrated, when you're edgy, how do you treat other people? Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. On this episode, we find Bellelli in a good mood with a new attitude to be informed but use minimal energy worrying about things you have no power to affect. After all, our visit here is a short one, all while discovering the two most requested History on Fire topics, Samurai Miyamoto Musashi and Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius led stoic lives that bound them to duty with little room for joy. Here we go. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, Batten down the hatches and prepare to open your mind for the Drunken Dows podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody, to another fine episode of the Drunken Dows podcast, episode 247. Another amazingly nice day here in Ojai, where the weather always seems to be quite fantastic, which I've probably cursed us for the next two months. Yes, indeed. Look at that. <laughs> There's um, golden leaves on the ground because it looks like we actually have seasons out here, maybe. It is kind of odd. I think they've been behaving a little bit more like that over the past couple of years, too. Maybe because they get rain in the spring again? or. Well, I mean, we're only an hour and a half from L.A., but it's different from L.A. Like yeah. here, you do get some seasons. Uh, L.A., you definitely don't. There's two seasons, pretty much. Summer and summer. Yeah. <laughs> no, there is a summer and fall, I would yeah. say. Here is, uh, there's a bit more of a range. Yeah, let's get the ball rolling by saying thank you to Sure Design T-shirts for being in our corner for a really longest time. We really, really appreciate it. So if you guys wanna are in the market for T-shirts or gifts, uh, clothing-related gifts, check them out. They are awesome. And I want to give a shout-out to Dakota Pure Bison, for they just sent me a package with a few goodies that was very sweet from uh, ground bison, jerky, steaks, any bison-based product. If you are in the market for something like that, dakotapurebison.com. You get a discount by using the code HOF10 uh, at checkout at dakotapurebison.com. Nice. Having said all that, of course, we say thank you to the folks sending wine on Sellers and materawines.com. Both of them are awesome. And the biggest thank you of all go to the sweet folks parting with their harder money. So let's go eat. Let the pottering begin. Joseph Lord, Nicola Togni, Keegan Walsh, Aistis Juska, GlobalHobos.com, Eden Carrio, Andre Garapetian, Samuele Rudelli, Jim D'Amico, Chris Trishbal, Stephen Rados, Lynn Raper, Donald Chipwitten, Luis Pesquera, Yanni Linnima, Jesse Rantakangas, Aaron Weisner, Clayton Payne. Impressive. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for your support. There aren't enough words to express our gratitude. 
Uh, if you want to join this group that receive our undying gratitude, there's always a way to do it by PayPaling us a few bucks. That would be very sweet. Either you can shoot it at my email, which is b as in boy, o, d as in Daniel, hi1974 at yahoo.com, or the alternative is paypal.me forward slash dbolelli, d-b-o-l-e-l-l-i, and that works just as well. And of course, shopping on Amazon using our link is always a sweet thing. A lot of L's in Italian names. Were they just they're, extra ones laying around? Right, they're really... Yeah. I mean, we got a Galelli now. He's got four. Somebody was... Uh, a Spanish-speaking friend was saying that they were kind of trying to speak with a little bit of Spanish when they were in Italy, and people were like, I don't get it. And then they were like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to say the same thing, but now I'm going to sing it. So rather than saying da 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 I'm going to go da 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 And people got it immediately. They were like, oh, that's what you meant, of course. Yeah. And, uh, Those romance languages are similar enough. You just have to sing it. Who'd have thought? Yeah, yeah, That yeah. to make some more sense to me. Yeah. Well, that's about it. Other than uh, Kiva gift cards, it's the season for the giving and the children who are not deserving so much maybe need some lessons in helping out others in the world. A fantastic way. $25 gift card gets them one loan or a piece of a loan that they would donate and then get back. And then they can cash it out if they want. Or maybe they'll be so impressed with the uh, event that they will loan it again. But we've been doing Kiva for a long time now. $250,000 $250,000 in loans from your fellow listeners is is in the offing and just incredible and uh, just one of the most successful things about this whole venture is just watching that grow and grow and see how many loans we're doing. I think, I think it's almost 7,000 loans. That's insane. It and is insane. Uh, when did it start? Was it in 2013? <sighs> yeah, something like that. Was it so too far 10 past? years. 10, maybe 9, but either way, it's just an impressive and just continues to continues to keep growing. Awesome. Well, in light of all that, let's get the ball rolling. Here we go. Emily's anniversary. Can you believe that? It's been a year already. A year of marriage of your daughter. That's pretty... And for that stress ball that I carried around with me for like a year. Yeah. That just disrupted into, wow, that ended up okay. Why yeah, that was worry? actually hilarious. I reached for like months ahead of time of his daughter's wedding. was like stressing and this and that and that and that. <sighs> and then the wedding happened. He was like, no, it was easy. It was awesome. <laughs> and, I was like, and it was a COVID super spreader event. So that part wasn't so awesome. That part, I, you know, was, it uh, adds to the legend, though. Yeah, and, and like the final total is out of eighty-one guests, eighteen people. Well, and so, we did everything we were supposed to, and then everybody got in a big room and danced, and that was that. And so here is the problem. Like you know, how by now COVID, we are like ah, COVID, whatever. It's part of the culture now. It's like a cold or a flu or something. It's a good way to get a week off of work. You know, two people I know closely um lungs are fucked up post-covid like they cannot run anymore they cannot exercise the way they used to they are like wheezing like crazy post-covid and did they have a terrible cough during it because i don't remember my lungs getting so bad just just normal but long covid 
And so the long COVID manifests in really, lo- in their case at least, really low energy and really fucked up lungs, where they clearly there's a difference in their life before COVID and after. And that's the first time they catch it. Now, COVID wow. is an ongoing thing. The odds are they'll probably catch it again. So this is one of those unpleasant reminders that when I was like, oh, okay, well, COVID, I mean, sure, it was bad, but not as bad as, you know, maybe we overhyped it. Then you see things like that, and you're like, no, that's pretty damn bad. That life's changing on a bunch of people who don't die from it, don't even go into the hospital, but their lives changes afterwards. Yeah. So it's... It's definitely a wake-up call. Yeah. And who knows when it figures out its next... Um, well, I'll tell you. Configuration oh. was the word I was looking for there for the virus to come into a new configuration, which it's constantly doing. It could whack us again at any moment. Yeah. No, that's that's. I mean, even if it doesn't get any worse, just the way it is, yeah, it does mess up people's life. And not, never mind, you know, millions killed, but like even just uh, even just people that you'll never hear of because they are not the statistics, they are not the victims on the big level. Yeah, I've been worried about valley fever the whole time. So you know. Valley fever is another bad one. It's for yeah, real, too. Yeah, yeah. So, no, there's, uh, I mean, the universe has a thousand ways to kill you. That's for sure. But um, Isn't it a miracle? I was thinking about it on the freeway the other night. I had some dude come by in a Bugatti going 170 miles an hour. Right. And, literally, the wind of him, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. there would be nothing you could do. Right, of course. I wish we could disintegrate that guy. Well, he's probably well on his way to do it himself. Yeah, but he's going to take out six people with that's him. That's what I'm problem. saying. Hopefully that's doing where... it on his own, that would be the better way to go. Yeah. I'll tell you, uh, just for this, okay, that I swear, we're going to go into a more positive speed. <laughs> just, somebody sent me a thing uh, that he did the way made me laugh. Our uh, former unnamed sponsor, uh, he who shall not be named, apparently got Managed the incredible task of being permanently banned from Twitter, which these days is hard because, you know, Musk is pretty much, you can put just about anything on Twitter and you can uh, slide right fine. (laughs) But he managed to get permanently banned after, I think if I got it correctly, somebody was saying that he was called for the hanging on somebody on Twitter. And yeah, when you explicitly get to that... It's like, who could have ever seen that coming in the direction he was going that it would lead to a strange place? But that's that's one for the history books. Yeah, man. Some people can take turns in their ideology, in their politics, in whatever, and that's part of the deal. You know, that's fine. People change their minds about things, and that's how it goes. The part that is weird is when, uh, and that's the part that bothered me the most with him, had been like seeing it like where the anger level is rising to an insane level that it affects your interpersonal relationship and you're snapping and you're edgy and you're like, clearly whatever ideological shift you're making is not a healthy one because no. it doesn't manifest very There's well. There's a lot of people if, out there on hair triggers right now and it yeah. is disconcerting to say the least. I think my policy lately, and I mean, it's nothing horrendously original, but I do find it useful for my mental health, is um, I'll still read the news. I still know what's going on out there, but I'm somewhat emotionally disengaged in the sense that um, there's a ton of stuff out there that I have absolutely no power to affect in one way or another. Yep. So I'm trying as much as humanly possible to dedicate minimal time and energy to the stuff that I cannot affect. I mean, I'll be informed, like it's good to be informed. And so if it's a matter of uh, voting one way or another, you do that. But like 
when it comes to really putting my emotional well-being invested into something that I cannot change in any way, shape, or form. I'm like... Terrible ways. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. And again, I have nothing against... Maybe you feel strongly enough that you feel that putting all your life energy into something to move it 0.01% is still worth it because it means something to you. I have nothing against that. But I don't know. For me, I'm thinking I want to save it for the few people close to me, around me, where I can really make a difference in their lives and help them and they help me and we play that game. Absolutely. Rather than um, going in a direction that more likely than not, it's just going to depress me about the state of the world and it doesn't help anybody, you know. So that's kind of, oddly enough, I'm actually in a supremely good mood as of late for no good reason whatsoever. I don't have a particular, there's no reason why, I mean, I can list many reasons of things that I'm grateful to, but, you know, I had those things a year ago, and, uh, you know, I spent a year, don't get me wrong, I've been happy, I've done lots of good things, but also a little cranky, a little dissatisfied, a little with this, I want to achieve this, why isn't this door opening? And one day I woke up and absolutely nothing changed, and I was like, I don't give a fuck. You know, if certain doors open, I'll be thrilled and I'm happy. But if they don't, my happiness is not really tied to that. I So I'm these days, I'm kind of waking up in a good mood, going to sleep in a good mood. I, I have no illusion that this is some kind of permanent enlightenment <laughs> that suddenly, you know, I, uh, I'm floating in Buddha state and it's all, you know, shit can happen and it's going to throw me off emotionally. And so I'm not... Which is terrible, you know, I, I, I delete everything I just said so far because I should repackage these into, you know, the seven steps to inner peace course for give me $5,000 <laughs> and I'll show you the way to permanent bliss. You're going to love level six. Yeah, unfortunately, that's <laughs> bullshit because it's not how it is, but I am enjoying for what I'm getting for the time being. And I honestly, it's weird because... Maybe there's, it's the earthquakes. Yeah, you know, honestly, I don't know what... It's sort of an awakening, like, we could all... This whole wall could come down. Yeah, it's So why worry about it? Because I think, like... I was talking about it with somebody the other day. I'm like, there's nothing that you're going to hear past the time you're 20 that you probably haven't heard already. You know, it's like, if you haven't lived under a rock, you've been exposed to just about every idea out there in one way or another... But one day, the same thing that maybe you understand, and maybe even you agree intellectually, one day may just go click and something shifts and it's internalized and you feel it for real, not just as a concept you carry in your head. Yeah. And and stuff changes, which is exactly kind of what I've been feeling lately. I've been feeling this nothing changed. I didn't get any new deep wisdom that suddenly I understand the world any better than I did the way before. But something as I woke up went cluck. And until it clicks again in a different direction, I'm going to enjoy this. Let's leave it that way. That sounds like an awesome thing. Yeah. Yeah. And my hope is that, you know, if I... if I find my way there once, maybe with luck I can find my way there again. But who knows? In any case... I'm, I'm digging it Flip right Mac now. would tell you that you can go your own way. Right? Indeed. That actually is the original Greek term for heresy. That's what it means. Heresy means to go one's own way. Really? Yeah. Which is uh, an interesting concept because, you know, you, you wow. think of it from like in this very negative connotation that the church had given it. 
it really just means coming up with your own path, which... Would be the worst thing possible for those organized folks. Yeah, of course, exactly. That's why it's such a bad name. But when you go to the wow. original meaning, it's like, oh, that's a pretty good thing. That's pretty what everybody should do. Come up with your own path that makes sense, that you can live by those values and and all that. So we've come up with a few things like that over the past few weeks, like the whole notion that past, certainly your great-grandparents, you have no idea of who the people were. Mm-hmm. And the way language shifts over time that yep. you could barely even communicate even 400 years ago. And in that sense, it can be, yeah, some people can find it depressing. But the other side of it is you can be like, you know, we're here to play, to have fun, to make people close to a smile. Yep. Don't overthink it. Don't overstress about, I need to leave a legacy that 300 years from now, 300 years from now, nobody will know it. Nobody gives a shit. You're not going to build the pyramids. No. So beyond that. And even if you did, people would be like, why did he build them again? What the hell was that? You know, it's like. And why wouldn't you have your legacy to be, most people I hung out with really liked me and we had a good time and then yeah, it was over. Exactly. That's the, speaking of the goodness of people, I guess. It does exist. Here is a reflection that is, has been warming my heart. Oh, my. So, allegedly, I occasionally, since I don't have a TV or cable or stuff that way, I uh, allegedly I get to see shows on pirate sites. Or so I've been told. Accidentally. Yes. This is clearly a fictional tale, but okay. bear with me. So whenever watching movies on pirate sites, uh, the one thing that happened on pirate sites is that, of course, you get 3,000 pop-ups that even if you have anti-pop-up things, some slip through. And there are regularly heartwarming messages that come to me. Ooh. These pictures of young ladies always pop up, and they restore my faith in humanity. You know, one, for example, appearing in the tiniest bikini possible. What? Asking me, I quote... Hi, baby. Are you alone? And I'm like, that is so sweet that given the epidemic of loneliness in the United States, these young ladies are regularly checking up on my mental health. And it's like I find it a very wholesome moment. That's nice of them to do that. Or, uh, or you know, another one is sending me a zip with her photos saying, please don't show anyone. Showing how much she trusts me and is... Uh, I don't know. I find uh, I find all of these moving. You know, That's amazing, if, uh, and not wanting anything in return. No, clearly never. And so, if more people were like these ladies, the world would be a much better place. And I feel that we should all learn from them. This all sounds a bit dangerous as well, like a possible argument starter. Yeah, and also, yeah, I, as a general. Hey, baby, rule, are you alone? As a random text. Probably. That can cause trouble. Oh, and also, of course, every one of them, according to the pop-ups, they all live within half a mile from my house. What? By now, I think I know every one of my neighbors because I think I've been, I've seen like 7,000 young ladies, all of the same age, all equally intolerant to clothing who somehow all live in my neighborhood. Or but... if they happen to have clothing, it's yoga pants. Yeah. Which, how that ever got slipped past, I'll never know, but yeah, we appreciate it's it. It's one of the greatest invention of humankind, <laughs> yes. Can you imagine introducing that even in 1963? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And wear it outside? Are yeah. you kidding me? No, of course. That's no, we're they, not. In yeah. the future, all will be revealed. Well, so since I go from my <laughs> appreciation for the goodness of humanity that is brought to me by the pop-ups on pirate sites... <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and by the way, again, allegedly, pirate sites these days are nuts. There are pirate sites from movies and TV where there's just about every show you can think of. There are pirate sites for, from books where they literally have like books that have probably been bought by seven people somehow are there wow. on the... Like, there's probably eighty to ninety percent of books published are there on some. So it's are they PDFs or are they just scans? Or? Uh, mix PDFs, uh, EPUB, uh, mm. uh, other formats as well, all sort of things. So it's allegedly. Yeah, yeah. So I've been told. No, this is a fascinating script you're working on. But yeah, it's a it, it's a crazy like the stuff that you have access to today, provided that your morality is somewhat flexible, is very different from. <laughs> what he was years ago. You definitely don't got to do a, go to a creepy place in the edge of the city anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get anything you want. I don't know. I think the overexposure is kind of the worst thing. And also, I mean, there are some terrible things like bookstores disappearing <sighs> and uh, the publishing industry going to shit in a lot of ways, uh, journalism dying. You know, there's plenty of stuff that's terrible. But I'm saying if it's going to be terrible anyway, I might as well catch my show on a, without having to subscribe to 27 different platforms. Uh, just maybe it's an introduction to we've reached a point where maybe everybody doesn't need to be Dua Lipa or something like that. It's just if you look at like an old tavern hall with everybody bringing their fiddle and their banjo and, and entertaining themselves that way. Yeah, there's that. not really looking for stardom. I mean, you want to be good. Sure, of course. You want to show your playing out. But yeah, just have fun. Do we all really need to fill stadiums? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus, it's all unaffordable now too. Yeah, Taylor Swift did six nights sold out the SoFi Stadium and hold seventy thousand people when the fields open. And the prices were insane. Yeah, I know. I went for Chili Pepper tickets there, and like, if you're in the back Mm -hmm. and the top, you're five stories above the stage, a football field away. Yeah, anything. And those were one hundred fifty dollars for real. Yeah, that's insane. I saw them for like. Eleven dollars at the Armory in Nashville twenty-five years ago. No, I know it's. Uh, I probably complained about that. Eleven dollars. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, back then. But also. a movie was a dollar forty back yeah, then. You know, of course. Like, when I was a boy, they gave it to you. Yeah. <laughs> well, certain things that instead never change. Um, yesterday, and I say yesterday. Of course, not by the time you guys get this episode, but uh, in our time when we record. Yesterday was Veterans Day, and that always, so this is not one of my most popular stances ever, but unfortunately, you're stuck with me, so this is where it's at. I don't get it. Like, I have a real heart. Don't get me wrong. Like, there are plenty of people I know, plenty of people in my family who have ended up in wars, who have fought, who have done this, that, and the other. And so you do, on an individual level, you appreciate people's bravery and selflessness and toughness and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. My dad used to refer to it as his own personal holiday. On the other end, there's the other side of the equation. I mean, I remember, like, in Italy it doesn't happen because... I think nationalism is so intimately tied to fascism that, you know, there isn't this cult of the armed forces the way there is in U.S. You know, there are no... Is there armistice day, though, or something like that? Yeah, but it's more like a peace thing than it is. Uh, There's stuff like that that, like, they are usually... There's, like, liberation from fascism. There's that kind of stuff. Right. But, like, when I see... I never seen before somebody in uniform and people approaching them with uh, thank you for your service kind of thing. And so I was really puzzled. I didn't understand it. I was like, that is interesting. And the main thing is that 
I think it gets me thinking. You know that guy, Smedley um, Butler, yeah. the general? There's a I'll read the quote. There's a quote of his that's very interesting because that's usually what I think of when I think army. He said, uh, Butler, by the way, was a long time part of the Marine Corps, uh, general, uh, on one of the very, very few guys who got the Medal of Honor twice. Yeah, and lived, and he got it twice yeah. on two separate occasions. So, I mean, as long and as uh, cherished as a military career as you can think of. And he later wrote this booklet called War is a Racket. And there's a quote that I think captures it for me. He says, um, I spent 33 years and four months in active military service. And during that period, I spent most of my time as a high-class muscle man for big business for Wall Street and the bankers. In short, I was a racketeer, a gangster for capitalism. I helped Mexico and especially Tampico safe for American oil interests in 1914. I helped make Haiti and Cuba a decent place for the National City Bank boys to collect revenues in. I helped in the raping of half a dozen Central American republics for the benefit of Wall Street. I helped purify Nicaragua for the international banking house of Brown Brothers between 1902 and 1912. I brought light to the Dominican Republic for the American sugar interest in 1916. I helped make Honduras right for the American fruit companies in 1903. In China in 1927, I helped see to it that Standard Oil went on its way unmolested. Looking back on it, I might have given Al Capone a few hints. The best he could do was to operate his racket in three districts. I operated on three continents. And then, you know, there are other quotes of him that basically he says, look, you know, it's, uh, we sell all these uh, high-minded ideals and pat uh, young guys on the back to go do stuff, and we are essentially using them as pawns for big business to get what it wants. Every time. What do you think Iraq was? Right. And I think that's, I mean, yeah, Iraq was amazing. It was just, I remember living through it and thinking I was in the Twilight Zone because, you know, when you have uh, George W. Bush who tells you we have evidence that he has weapons of mass destruction, it's like, well, show us the evidence. Yeah. No, I can't show you. But trust me, you know, uh, there's a minor thing, uh, like not enough to real be evidence, but like, so believe me. And he's like, no, man, that's not how it works. You show me evidence, and now we have a real thing. But until then, what? and of course, going there and realizing there was nothing. Wasn't there? Uh, see, there's an, see, I would have planted the evidence. And first, and also the thing that was hilarious was you had um, billions of dollars worth of uh, reconstruction contracts going to Halliburton, which was Dick Cheney's former company. Isn't that strange? I mean, it was... The guy the vice president happens yeah. to be a company that rebuilds countries after wars? He was so... How could that... What a coincidence. Blatant and so... So I think, like, my problem with this is I have, again, nothing against individuals who, for a variety of life choices and reasons, find themselves... Or serving. not choices. Some people got drafted. Some cases, you don't have a choice, and you find yourself in an army, and that's... So I have nothing against the individual. But by the same token, while I have nothing against the individual, to somehow feel that there's anything noble or great about serving in an army 
where 99.9% of the time has nothing to do with defending freedom or something like that. It's about really pushing particular business interests that will benefit from it. I don't know, man. I don't... Especially because as a soldier, by definition, you know, your job as a soldier is to obey orders. Mm -hmm. Orders come from up top. You have absolute... So you put your life at the service of something in which you have no voice and no control over who gets to pass the orders or what the orders are. And if you disobey, they can put you in the brig or worse. Yeah, I'm missing something there. It's like, are, like do we believe in this Disney-fied version of history that somehow like the government sending you to fight somewhere as your best interest at art or is doing it for some noble reasons? I mean, when's the last time that that happened? Never. I, I can maybe let you slide with World War II. Right. World War Two, okay, Nazis and Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. There are obviously business interests. There were things that played a role. But I can see a logic for that one. That one is like, sure, okay, I'll I'll see that logic. But just about any uh, any other war I've seen since the nineteen hundreds on is like which one and I'm talking US here. Sure. But like which ones were the good ones? You know, which ones were the one I'm like good if you got a helicopter factory yeah exactly that's the um, so i don't know man i have a hard time with these kind of things with seeing like uh yeah veterans day again nothing wrong against somebody who's a veteran it's like they went through tough shit and they deserve all the support they can get and the pat on the back however you weren't saving freedom. You were, to quote Butler, being a gangster for capitalism. That's a different... And why you say capitalism? Is, I mean, it's not saying, like, uh, Butler was not a socialist or anything. He was just saying the way, the way capitalism is in reality, not in theory, is uh, big companies pulling the strings and screwing over everyone else to get what they want. Yeah. Often in it seems to be going really well for them right, right. now. Right, and often in cooperation with government. Sure. So it's like, I mean, I remember there's uh, there's a friend of mine who's like very gango about joining the military because he had this very, in a way, a bit of a Punisher vibe to it, where he's like, I want to be able to go after the bad guys. I'm like, yeah, you'll never get to make choices about who the bad guys are yeah. or what needs to be done or you're purely a cog in a machine and the machine gets operated by somebody else with directions from somebody else so the odds are you're more likely to end up being the bad guy than going after the bad guy strong through a village people that aren't doing anything wrong yeah everybody's on edge so i'm just like not quite so sold on it so we need an alien attack from space yeah that would make sense then he's like sure screw the but when we defeat the aliens, you know what happens six hours later. Sure. No, I mean, there's always the internal division and all of that. That's the speaking of which, I so I think I'm going to do a mini YouTube on this one for a History on Fire YouTube channel. Uh-huh. Speaking of the divisions, I was re-listening to the masterpiece that is Dan Carlin's series about the wrath of the Khans and the Mongols. And I realized how, how alcoholism saved Western Europe. <laughs> Because basically there was a point in the 1240s where the Mongols were probably 10 years away from conquering all of Europe. You know, whatever was left of Europe that they hadn't touched on, they could have conquered the entire thing. Wow. And the only thing that stopped this machine that was pretty much unstoppable at the time 
was the fact that the the Khan back in Mongolia died of alcoholism. He was like Genghis' grandson or something. And so by that point, they had to pull everybody back because there were disagreements about who the next Khan should be. Oh. And they were going to. And so by the time, they, they'll never really get the same level of unity that they had back then. They'll never have the same strength that they had back then. And in the meantime, Europe is going to start prop up its defenses. So they're never really going to be in a position to do that again. But had the guy not just been doing horrible things to his liver day and night, had he just lasted. 10, 15, 20 more years, which was very reasonable because he wasn't old when he died. Yeah, Western Europe would have been completely invaded by the Mongols. And wow. who knows what that would have meant? If that would have meant, who knows? Maybe, maybe it would have been absolutely, I mean, the invasion would have been horrible. There's no argument. What would have happened to the culture 200 years later? I don't know. Um, it would have been influenced for sure. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, how alcoholism saved Western Europe. <laughs> What was a, what? What did your what would your drink of choice have been as the Khan in uh, Mongolia as the Khan back in the day? Fermented mare milk. For real. Yeah, it's mare milk that is fermented in a particular way to make it heavily alcoholic. Like you can ferment it in a certain way, and it's usually a mild alcoholic drink. Yeah. And then you can hype it up with a freezing process and all of it, and it gets heavy. Holy smokes! I'll never forget the Dalai Lama was in D.C. And I ended up at a Chuck E. Cheese for somebody's birthday instead of going to see the Dalai Lama. Mm -hmm. But we arrived late, and it was a cultural fair. So the whole like mall was decked out in it. And one place was offering the Dalai Lama's favorite drink, which was rotted yak milk with mango juice. And it tasted like stomach bile that had been warmed slightly. Really? And it had a wee bit of alcoholic zip you tried? It. Yeah. And immediately poured it out. It's like it this was is just no possible. It was summertime too. Yeah. You don't need curdled curdles in your yeah. gut. It was horrific. So I would have never got drunk off of that. Yeah, fermented mare milk was the way to go. Oh, man. And then, uh, but you know, that's what they also drank all the time in the non-fermented version. Well, and you guys uh, are horse people, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I even included it in uh, in the short story that I was telling you, the one that I wrote for his. Uh, I uh, I have fermented mare milk there because it's... And then, of course, by the time we're talking about Genghis' grandson, they were powerful enough and they conquered enough other nations that they were also getting the booze from everyone else. So by that point, they were getting wine in massive amounts from, like, the Greeks and stuff. And uh, so... You know, that by that point they had access to just about every other alcoholic thing. You when did the opium of. come online? Was that already happening through history? Opium, I don't know when because it wasn't a problem until the Westerners started yeah. having a problem with it. Oh, now it's a problem. Yeah, I don't know when they started uh, pumping it in heavy fashion. I mean, as medicine, I think has a really long use. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, I would have to look into it. The well, and just what you were talking about a moment ago, like these soldiers in Afghanistan, they literally guarded poppy fields. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah, Western exactly. medical interests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here I am. I'm going to go fight evil. Yeah. And I'm patrolling poppy fields. Right. And Afghanistan is one of the ones that sold the best, right? It's yeah. like 9-11, Bin Laden, the Taliban Sarasals, they are not giving up Bin Laden, invade, capture Bin Laden, and destroy Al-Qaeda. Okay, that's... If you're going to go into a war... That's a good one to go for. That's pretty much as good as a rationale as you can set up. And look at the shit show it turned into, where they did everything except 
what they were supposed they to do and uh, yeah everything wrong or maybe not wrong right but because maybe it was that probably was the plan the, you know yeah this, the, the fact the whole general eaton was there to to get rid of the top three layers of officers and top two layers of, of enlisted folks in the in the iraqi army right and days before he arrived to do that they disbanded the whole army fired everybody so you had 1.4 million guys with AK-47s who were all of a sudden unemployed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What could that possibly go wrong? Wasn't there? an accident. Yeah. Because they got they, they wanted the chaos. Yeah, of course. If you had the army settled out where they could hold things and keep them, well, then we can't sell as many helicopters. Yeah. No, it's uh, as uh, Butler put it, war is a racket. There's actually I want to do a history on fire about him at some point because there's a story that he tells that he was approached by a whole group of business interests, essentially pitching him to overthrow Franklin Delano Roosevelt to start a coup in U.S. Really? And put him as the boss, Butler himself, because he was a war hero, he had a reputation, he could pull it off with the army, and so they were like... Well, how old get... was he by the 40s? No, I think earlier. It's probably early. Oh, even before the war in started? The, yeah, the late I think 30s. he's in the early 30s when oh, Roosevelt first comes into power and yeah, started yeah. doing all these things. Oh, I thought deep into it they were going to try. No, and well, by that point, Roosevelt was, you just had to push him and he was dead already pretty much, you know. But like, <laughs> no, at the beginning and um, Butler refused. And, you know, there's this agreement among historians that how serious this business plot was. I mean, there's clearly some evidence whether he was more stealing the talk, like crazy talk by a few executives, or if it was really well-planned or not, that's debatable. But it's a crazy story, though, either way. Well, and when you look at the amount of Nazis that were hanging out in the U.S. in 1940, oh, yeah. it was vexing. yeah, yeah. S- sort of familiar feeling. Yeah. No, in fact, also for Butler to have bolts of iron and reject what essentially is them telling them, we'll give you the United States to run. At least you can be the figurehead, if nothing else. But then he's working for those guys. Yeah, and him saying, fuck you guys, not happening. So It's nice for some folks to get it right on occasion. Yeah, and I mean, especially him, because if you look at his, most of his career, he did horrible things. You know, for a longest time, he did one terrible thing Was after another. Was he in the Philippines too? Did he all I think that? so. Yeah, yeah. that's bad shit there. And then you know, by the end, he's like, "Yeah, that wasn't so good," but took a while. <laughs> I don't know. It's gotta be bad to look back and say, "Hmm, I did all these things for all the wrong people." Yeah, 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 yeah. That's his. Uh, that's both what make you know. There's something horrible about this story, but there's also something very redeeming about it. Okay, new historical tangent that I'm gonna pitch at you. I'm ready. So I've done, I just finished uh, recently the um, this series about the samurai Miyamoto Musashi. Mm-hmm. Before, and this is one of the most requested topics ever in History on Fire. Lots of people wanted to know Musashi's story. Another one of the heavily requested ones has been uh, the story of Marcus Aurelius, okay. the Roman emperor. Yeah. That one is still behind the paywall, but it will come out in the... I don't know when, maybe a year or something. It should be out. Uh, 
So both of those are stories where they are both insanely heavily requested and I ended up walking away with the same feeling from both stories which is a bit of disappointment and usually you know I get excited about starting a series I get excited about a particular historical character I get to find more and more about them and I was happy with the research I've done I felt that I did a good work and I think I produced good episodes the disappointment part came in in looking at Musashi and Marcus Aurelius, and the more I look, the less I like them. Oh, really? It was one of those cases The legend that outdoes the reality. The hype around them, I was like, oh, the hype is amazing. And then I look and I'm like, oh, that's not so amazing. Oh, that really is not amazing. Oh, I don't like that. So it's, <laughs> it's a weird... Uh, I feel bad because I feel like I'm... All these people are looking forward to the telling of the story, and then I have to tell them what I actually discover, and I'm like, it's not that pretty. I liked it better when we were at the mythology of it. Those are important moments, though. I mean, <clears throat> the whole, like, watching Columbus disintegrate. You know sure. who's next on the chopping block? Magellan. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, those guys were... We still call those the Magellanic Clouds, which are two galaxies that you can see in the Southern Hemisphere. Right. So those clearly need to be renamed. A, he clearly did not discover them. Right. People have been seeing them in the sky since they had eyeballs. Sure, of course. And then there's a great story I think Dan Carlin turned us on to that his um, slave boy on the boat... Was the one who circumnavigated the globe, yes. So name one after him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then find something cool to name another one after. But these... Murderous and, freaks tend to get a lot of, of credit. Guys, yeah, you find out, you know, people who do you see their story and is bloodier and uglier than advertised and all of that. And so you're like, oh, these are not nice people. The Musashi and Marcus Aurelio thing is interesting that there are similarities there. And the reason why I don't like them is, or I don't like them maybe too strong of a word because there are some good stuff about them for sure. But both of them are examples of stoicism you know marcus aurelius in a literal sense like he was a stoic philosopher wrote a book that's considered a classic of stoicism and musashi not by calling it stoicism but for all intents and purposes the whole samurai mentality i was a stoicism and so it's interesting because you look at stoicism which is a very interesting philosophy it has some things that are very good in terms of ideas you know like one of the classic stoic ideals i mean if we are to oversimplify it, a lot of the ideas of Stoicism are about being uh, as little affected by the outside world as possible to keep your emotional center. There are many similarities even with Buddhism, with like non-attachment to certain things and trying to keep your emotional center, not being swayed one way or another by external events and all of that. And there's, there's something clearly necessary about it. At the same time, it feels... So what is there not to like? Because these are, there's good stuff. In both cases, I get the feeling that they didn't enjoy life a whole lot. That their stoicism came at a price of, you know, killing all the emotional disturbance that come from indulging in bad stuff, but also from killing a lot of the good stuff in the process. Like Marcus Aurelius, every one of his writings that I ran into was just... The only emotion that comes out of him is duty. He's like working because I'm supposed to, because this is my role, because this is, uh, I feel like an Hindu karma yoga kind of thing. It's like I'm doing it because I'm supposed to do it. There's no, I'm anatta. And to me, it's like, 
why even go through if you're not enjoying life if you're not and he really doesn't feel like a guy who's enjoying life he's like why do it what's the whole point he's duty bound to everything and has no moment to enjoy anything not a whole lot and so, did he enjoy killing people? Well, no, not even. So you know, that was just a part a pretty, of the. Yeah, a part of what we have to do, but you know, everybody say he was as far as Roman emperor. Granted, Roman emperors are notorious for being crazy and disturbed, but <laughs> as far as Roman emperors go, Marcus Aurelius considered one of the best ones by far. But then, you know, like there's a line of his that tell me everything I need to know. There's a part where he talks about sex, like, oh, sex is nothing but the exchange of mucus. And but like he puts it in such a gross way that I'm like, and I wonder why your wife was cheating on you. That's surprise, surprise. You know, Yeah, that's not an attitude that's going to lead to a happy life. No, he has a very much of a killjoy vibe and to add cherry to the cake in this even if you were just i have my duty to the empire i have no time to indulge because i need to do this that and the other the reality is that he ended up then passing the empire to his son commodus is one of the worst well i don't know about one of it's up there among the worst emperors so the fact that you couldn't take the time to be a decent father to your son or just do the gutsy thing and pick somebody else so not only you fucked up the fact that you didn't really enjoy life and didn't sound like the lives of people around you in close to you was well affected, but in the process, you even fucked over the empire by uh, doing your duty, over overlooking your son and then passing to this poor guy who's completely unprepared from not having a father figure, not having been raised in a halfway decent way, passing him the empire to screw it all up. I'm like, Nepotism strikes again. Yeah, call me crazy, but that's not a success story in my book. And, and Musashi's similar in that regard. I mean, Musashi's like a god of fighting. He wins every duels he ever got into. He's uh, There's the good stuff. You know, I respect the fact that he was... Um, he was a great artist. He had this, uh, there's this line of his that's fantastic that say, uh, if you know the way broadly, you will see it in everything. You know, his thing is about, is a very Zen idea of like, there's, uh, once you discover the principle at the roots that allow you to master one art, you can apply them to another art and another and another because the principles are the same. Sure. They don't change. So that's brilliant. His art is brilliant. He's, uh, I really respect the fact that he never, ended up being an errand boy for a warlord. He remained independent his whole life. You know, there's a lot to respect there in this Ronin, masterless samurai thing who's brilliant in many fields. I love that. But... Getting no pleasure out of life. Loveless life, you know? Maybe he got pleasure doing his calligraphy or doing something, but like... No marriage, no kids, no, more importantly, doesn't really seem to have any kind of like, he has a few disciples that I think like him enough, but that's about the extent of it. And again, I'm not saying that everybody needs to be married and have kids. That's not what I'm saying at all. But like the vibe is just uh, of an extremely lonely path. I mean, he even wrote a little booklet called On the Way of Walking Alone, which tells you a lot about this life, you know. And granted, I get it, you know, he grew up uh, 
basically without parents, like his father was a dick, he lost his mother young, he was, so he has plenty of reasons to feel emotionally scarred. He came, he was born at the end of the warring state period in Japan, where I think even the walls had PTSD after 150 <laughs> years of civil war or something. God, 150 years. So it's... Yeah, maybe slightly less than 150, but yeah, no, but still, like over a century of over civil and war. Over and just, is that, is that one side winning and then pushing back and just endless? There are many warlords, so they're like, this guy gained power in this area, but then gets squashed by this guy, who then does this, that. So it's like, and he comes at the end of it. So of course, just about everybody in Japan was fucked over by seeing centuries of warfare in their backyard. Wow. So I get it. You know, I, I think he had plenty of reasons to feel the way he did. And yet, still, I can't help but feel that there's a huge wasted opportunity. Like, if you are this brilliant guy, you clearly are strategically a genius. You are a great artist. You have this independent spirit. You know, all things that I admire. And yet, at the end, for what? You know, it's like, I don't get the feeling that people around him were having a blast or he used his strength and abilities to make a whole bunch of people happy. And... To me, that's an important part of being alive, is uh, bring joy to the people close to you. Yeah, without question. If you're not doing that, I sort of question what the hell we're doing here. And that's the vibe I got with both of them. And it's interesting because both super requested, clearly there's a fascination for these guys, both of them tied to the very similar philosophy of life, and both of them with the exact same downfalls. In uh, from my way of looking at things. Wow. Two lives, but so similar in such different parts of the world. Yeah. Different parts of the world, different ages, different circumstances. I mean, one is like a masterless samurai in Japan in the but 1600s. The bound. other dude is... Uh, some 1,500 years earlier, he's a Roman emperor, <laughs> but very, yeah, really lonely. Really, really lonely and without a whole lot of uh, enjoyment of life. Or at least, I mean, in Marcus Aurelius, we know it because he writes very clearly about it. But also in Mozashi, there's so much emphasis about... Non-attachment to anything. You shouldn't care about where you live in one place or another. You shouldn't care about the food you eat. You shouldn't care about uh, people around you. You shouldn't, like, there's this idea of, like, you shouldn't care because you're unaffected by all these things. But, like, by that point, sure, you can be emotionally balanced the way a rock is emotionally balanced. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cold, it's like, unfeeling. Yeah. I think there has to be some concern for those I don't want to quite say luxuries, but for the necessities in life, you should have to care a little bit about it. Yeah. I mean, you're not here. What, are you going to eat tree bark and live in a hammock your whole life? It's I mean, a little bit of that vibe. And again... But maybe the fear is those that go all the way the other direction, where I have sure. to shit in a fucking gold toilet. No, no, I get it. I mean, I do I understand get, where I, it comes from. I see from where it comes from, but you got to have a little room in there. There's, I, there's somewhere in between where... Yeah. Exactly. And I think, you know, their reaction is better than what they are rebelling against, for sure. But they take it so far. To, that's why, to me, it's like I have nothing against Stoicism. I think there are some brilliant things in Stoic philosophy. The problem is that why is it that so often people take it so damn far where it stops being healthy, where it starts becoming something that seems 
just sucking the joy out of life. I guess maybe once you're in that pocket, yeah, to drift out of it is gonna wreck everything for you. So I'll just be here and be quiet. And, and I think maybe there's something to be said of if you don't meet the right people in life and you are kind of lonely to begin with anyway, then you are like, okay, let me see the best I can do with these cards because those are all the cards you know. You don't know that there's even another way that's possible. Yeah, there's a whole and other deck waiting for you over there. Yeah, and it's like, nope, that's all you know, and so that's what you do, which again, there are way worse things you could do. Sure. So again, to me, they are it not... It seems an unhappy life. Yeah, they are not examples of somebody who is evil, per se. They are example of um, a wasted opportunity mm. in my book. That's almost worse. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, fuck it. It's like some serial killer is worse. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just read like, from somebody who's like, yeah. yeah, yeah but right. being a... But, but I see what you're saying. Because, you know, it's like still, when you see somebody who's a good guy, who has potential, who's brilliant, you're like, just take the next step. <laughs> take yeah. it to a place where you can be happy, people around you can be happy. Because that's ultimately what all your, whether philosophical genius or talent or being a badass warrior, that's what is supposed to be for something. It's supposed to lead to, there's a reason why you're strong and wise and this. If, it, if there's no, if you're not creating anything with it, what the hell are you doing? You know? You're being General Buckley. Yeah, so I I don't know. I thought that was interesting. I, I I'm always sketchy by the time I finish a series like that because I'm like I'm afraid I'm just gonna piss off a bunch of people because I don't have a happy here is the greatest badass ever kind <laughs> of vibe. It's more like eh, here is why this biography is problematic. But I don't know. Those are just some of my thoughts as of late reading these guys' lives. I like it. Cool, my man. Did you have any uh, sonic booms the other night? Uh, there always are. And by now, I hate specs, SpaceX with a passion because every other minute out here, the whole house shakes, all the dogs start yelling and in the whole neighborhood. And sometimes they do it at 1 a.m. or something. Yeah, so that's the most recent like, ones. Like a week ago, I was like, I was in the garage and the door rattled. I was like, well, that's it. North yeah. Korea. Yeah, or you feel <laughs> like, you know, considering we are in quake country, you think, oh, it's an earthquake. It's a, And so it's extremely stressful. And I don't even know how it's legal. I mean, I really don't know. Like, how is it? Li- like, there are like ordinances against disturbing the peace. Shaking a whole house at 1 a.m., freaking everyone out. From 65 miles away. Yeah. How is that not disturbing the peace? It's for science, man. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> we I'm did not it over the ocean. Though. Yeah. Still is incredible to see him land, though. This is the damnedest thing. It looks like it should crash well, I'm into sure, the ground. But I would be like... Those sonic booms are crazy. Yeah, I can do without those. The last earthquake, did it seem like it wasn't going to stop? Because where I was at... It could continue it, for a while. Exactly. It kind of, and normally when that happens, it's going to kick up. Yeah, yeah. And it didn't, but it just, it was kind of 20 seconds. Yeah, we had a couple of earthquakes in the last couple of months, and uh, one really strong. I yeah. mean, again, really strong is relative, because honestly, on the scale, it doesn't look that bad. It was like no, 5.1. It. But it was literally under our feet. Yeah. We are the epicenter, so it felt a lot worse. And, and also the other problem with quakes is that you don't know where it's going to stop, because, you know, it starts shaking. Okay, whatever, it's a quake. Oh, stuff is falling off the walls. That's bad. Now it's getting scary. 
and if it ends there, they're like, okay, cool. That was a little annoying, but whatever. But the problem is that you don't know where it's going to end until it does. Yep. And then there's 51 aftershocks. Yeah, exactly. Azog is upset about the earthquakes as well. Yeah, so Azog is also commenting about SpaceX. He's like, <laughs> fuck those guys. Every time I'm napping on my couch and the whole house shake and I freak out. And so he's demonstrating his powerful manly bark for all of you. You maybe, I don't know how you hear it with the mics. He's in the background, but yeah, maybe sounds it picks very up. Nice. He sounds so upset. Azog is expressing his displeasure. He's, uh, I think, what did you say? Azog is challenging Elon Musk to a one-on-one fight, Ooh. mano a mano. So he said, uh, I'll put my nine pounds of muscle and fury against your, I think Musk is 250 or something. So he's like, I'm ready. Let's go. I'd watch that pay-per-view. Yeah, I don't because uh, Azog tend to overestimate his strength and skills a little too often. He's always like yelling at some we'll dog. Tell him and a, we'll tell like, him that Musk is a squirrel. Yeah, yeah. He'll be that, doomed. Yes, that is going to just go after him with a passion. Cool. That sounds like plenty. Well, Funky Music Me is one thing. That's the end of another fine episode of the Drunken Dallas Podcast. It's without any further ados, we just want to wish you a really good day, and we'll catch you at the next one. See everybody later. Excellent. Would you like to hear a terrible story? Yes, always. One day the rod shall teach you. D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. Good shit. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Dallas Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as they come out. You can keep track of Daniele at D-Bolelli, that's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at RichieMon1, R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, and the numeral one. We'll see you all soon. Woo!